Happy Tuesday! And thank you for joining another special episode of Your Welcome. Well, guys, it was an action-packed weekend in MMA, and on today's show, I'll recap the action we saw in one championship, Bellator and the UFC. Plus, I'm going to give you my thoughts on some of the new wrestling footage featuring Conor McGregor, which has just come out. Before I get to that, I want to begin with what we saw at the UFC Apex on Saturday. Mackenzie Dern. Guys, what'd you think? Who won that fight? I mean, I just want to know what you think because numbers are very deceptive when it comes to fighting, right? I think we all collectively watched the match, and I think we all collectively needed Bruce Buffer to get in there and tell us who won. Is that fair? I mean, what I just described, does that describe you? Or, or did you think McKenzie won strongly? Did you think McKenzie lost strongly? Now, let me, let me tell you. Five rounds is a long time to watch a fight. It's a long time to watch a fight that you didn't anticipate to fight, in all fairness. And I think that some people looked away partway through. I don't think I don't think that the viewers were fully engaged. This is what I think, because there was a massive pushback saying McKenzie should have won the fight, McKenzie was robbed. Now, if you're watching something and you're partially watching it, you're into that first round, you're into that first eight, nine minutes, you get a little bit distracted, you come back. At the very end, right before the announcement were made, they put up what, what I know is CompuBox. I know that is, I think CompuBox is actually the name of a company, but those fight stats, right? And they were very much in Dern's favor. Dern had more takedown, Dern, Dern had more time on the ground, Dern had a whole bunch more strikes. And by those numbers, it looked as though Dern was going to win the fight. Now, I wasn't positive that that's what my eyes saw, but I could live with it. If Dern would have won, I would not have screamed robbery. It was one of those matches, for me at least. So Dern loses the fight, and there was a massive pushback. I think that it came because of those stats. That's just what I think. But I'm sharing, I'm asking, I'm hoping to get a little dialogue going here. Look, I was against the McKenzie Dern movement when it first started. And I just didn't think that she had what it took. I didn't think she was going to be able to come over with those grappling skills. I was, I was a little bit resistant, but then she started taking on better and better competition. And she starts flashing that smile. And she starts moving up the card. All of a sudden, you, you find Mackenzie Dern in five-round contests. Now, nobody will ever go five rounds and have me give them a hard time. It's a very rare group that actually can do unarmed combat for 25 minutes. So as soon as she entered that club, I started looking at her differently. And I don't really care if Mackenzie's winning or losing. I still have changed my mind about her. I am very impressed with the competitor. I am very impressed with the way that she shows up. And she has really spread it around in terms of she's taken on athletes from every style there is. Striking heavy, grappling heavy, mixed martial artists, well-rounded everywhere. She's taken them all on. I never see her back down. I never see her giving up. I never see her getting frustrated. I never see her stopping on herself. I see her get hit, but I also see her protecting herself. I see her chin down. I see her hands up. I mean, those are the basics, right? The fighters that are going to annoy me, they get beat. They can't figure out why they got beat. Well, how about because your, your, your chin was up and your hands were down, which is what you're literally taught on your first day in fight practice, to keep your hands up and your chin down. When fighters can't do that, it's annoying. She does all of these things, and she does them very well. McKenzie really does do them very well. This isn't the first time that I've seen her come in second. But I will share with you, it's yet another performance that she's had where she did not get blown away. Nobody's out there controlling her. Nobody's out there whipping her. Back when I was in college, two guys in town. Now, I was a black belt when I was in college, okay? At 18 years old, I was a black belt in jiu-jitsu. I had never been to a day of jiu-jitsu. I was told by Mark Schultz, that as soon as you're tough enough to wear the black belt, you're a black belt. As soon as you're willing and ready to step in there and compete with other black belts, you're a black belt. This was mentioned to me, so all of a sudden I declared myself a black belt. I get down to Eugene, there's two guys down there. Ryan Kelly and Harold Utterback, these guys' names. Now they got a purple belt, but they're the only guys in the entire city that even do jujitsu. So they have a purple belt. I'm a black belt. They find out I'm a black belt. They ask me if I would like to work out. I did. Wasn't close. 
these guys are stretching this and choking that. They're showing me these different positions. Okay, wow. Really opened my eyes, but I remember these two guys, and how come they were the only guys in town that had these skills? Because they would fly to Arizona every other weekend. Every other weekend, they would travel two states away to Arizona, and they would do workouts just over the weekend. They get on Friday for a Friday night workout. There's like some kind of an open roll on Saturday. They, they fly home on Sunday. But a couple of times a month, they were going out there, and they were training with a guy called Megaton. Now, I didn't know if that was like a foreign name and the dude was named Megaton. I, I didn't know how the, the nicknames were really popular within the Brazilian jiu-jitsu athletes. And I said, well, what's his name? And they told me one time, Wellington, Wellington Megaton. So why do they call him Megaton? He said, because he only weighs 160 pounds, but when he's on top of you, he feels like he weighs a Megaton. I just remember this, right? I was 18 years old. I remember this. I get a lesson in jiu-jitsu from these two guys that were purple belts and only getting to work out twice a month, but that was more than anybody else that was around. And I remember this story about Megaton. You're not going to forget a name like that. And you're not going to forget this story, right? He's 160 pounds, but he's on top of you. He feels like he weighs a Megaton. You're just not going to forget that. Not to mention when two of his students kick your ass and you're telling everybody you're a black belt. You're, you're just not going to forget that. Well, fast forward, that's Mackenzie's father. Yeah, that's Mackenzie's father. And I think that that's a great story. I think that that's very interesting. Not to mention they've humbled themselves to go and learn from other people. Jason Perillo, by example. And as I was complimenting Mackenzie that she understands range, she understands one-twos, she understands she understands defense. If you ever work with Jason Perillo, I have never seen anybody, whether it's for a day, whether it's for a training camp, or they started their whole careers with him. I've never seen anybody cross paths with Perillo and not have an absolute basic understanding entrenched in fundamentals of boxing. Perillo teaches these guys and sends them back to day one. And all of his guys, all of his gals, all of his athletes, they got their hands up, they got their chins down. A really good understanding of the basics. And I think that McKenzie's having a little bit of a hard time. And I got to make an excuse for her, guys. I'm not positive she won that fight. I know there's a lot of pushback saying that she won. Even the word robbed, I don't know about that. I don't know about that. Even though everything was in her favor, a lot of those came within the same rounds, the rounds that she won. You can hit a person 300 times, they can hit you 20 times, and the 20 times wins, depending at what point in the fight that comes about. You can take a person down four times, they never take you down once. But if you got those four takedowns spread over two rounds and there's three others to go, right? I mean, it's one of these things. And you, got, and you always got to explain it from the very beginning. Most of you I just condescended to, but we have new fans. We have new viewers that don't understand how the fight stat and the punch count could be so far the other side of the spectrum as the outcome of the contest. All right. But one thing about McKenzie, and I got to go back to this. I feel as though... When she's conserving energy, when she's burning and when she's burning hot and when she's got to go on a sprint versus when she's got to recoup, when she's got to get a couple of good breaths, I feel as though we keep messing with her. One night she's got to go do it for three rounds and another night she's got to go for five rounds. She's got to do five rounds again, then she's back to three rounds. It's one of those things where I feel as though when the contest is over, she's still got a little bit of energy left, which is a game you must play with yourself. You must preserve a little bit of energy. You must. You don't know what's coming. You don't know what's next. Coaches will tell you not to. They'll tell you to put your foot down, go full speed. But if you're the athlete and you're in there, you must be ready to follow the basic rule, which is to protect yourself at all times, which you've got to save a little energy for. And I feel as though when we keep bouncing her from three rounds to five rounds, how is she ever supposed to learn that? How is she ever supposed to really know when to go? It's just a suggestion and it's just a thought. Whether you think she got robbed or you think that the outcome was fair, I think we can agree it was a good fight. I think we can agree that both athletes fought really well. One championship, the grappling title, the first ever time that a grappling championship has been contested by a major mixed martial arts promotion. All right, this whole, this whole thing went down on Friday. Now, did you guys watch this? It's Mikey versus Souza. 
and, and to make sure you understand it before this match happens, okay, Souza is fully locked in. Like, this is an opportunity of a lifetime. These guys are going to be on Amazon Prime in front of the world. And on a mixed car, where they're doing MMA, where they're doing kickbacks, right? There's going to be a lot of eyeballs. One championship just did more for grappling than perhaps anything has ever been done for grappling in history just by holding this contest. you got Mikey, you got Souza. Now, Souza understands this. He gets fully locked in. Forget about Abu Dhabi. Forget about the trials. I'm studying these rules. I'm studying this one opponent. Now, I love that. I love that theory. And don't forget, guys, this was the third time that they met. Okay? Souza had finished Mikey in the Pan Ams. Mikey had beaten Souza 2-0 in, in a scored contest. And now they're going to go in the one championship, which means they're going to go for 15 minutes. And we will have three expert judges. They are going to turn in a card should the 15 minutes elapse. And they are going to give that on whoever tried to finish the fight more. Whoever was more aggressive, trying to pass, trying to catch, trying to break, trying to strangle. Okay, so the rule, they're very straightforward. Everybody's going to understand that. It was quite possibly my favorite thing about this because I knew it was going to work. You can't just put grappling on display. People have tried for a very long time. They, but you also, you got to explain the rules to people. Hey, why are they out there wearing those geese? Hey, why can he, why can he grab his lapel? Hey, how come there's points on the board? How did he score? It's confusing. One took all the confusion away. Here's what they're going to do. 15 minutes, anything goes, don't hit the guy. When that's done, whichever one of you tried to win, we're going to turn to these judges and we're going to raise his hand. We're going to give him a whole bunch of money and the belt. Okay. I got it. Like, we all understood this, right? Souza did everything right. I love the way that he prepared for this. The problem that Souza ran into, and I think it surprised him. I think it surprised him because it surprised me, right? If you're on the outside, I got a way better vantage point than the athlete who's in there doing that. The athlete who's in there and competing is in the worst vantage point to see things early. That's why you have cornermen. That's why you have coaches. That's why us, the fans and the viewer, find ourselves yelling at the television sometime. You ever tried that in a football game? Right, you got a quarterback sneak going. He's going to run a flag up. You think he's running a flag play. He comes with a reverse. We can all see, no, that guy's got the ball. You're chasing the wrong guy, right? It's one of those things that you can see as a fan. I couldn't see it as a fan. I couldn't see it coming. I couldn't see how it was getting set up. I could just knew it was happening. And that was Mikey being aggressive. Because these contests, it doesn't matter if you're doing MMA, kickboxing, or in this case, grappling. It doesn't matter. It's still a dance. It's a dance in that there will be two people, but only one of them can lead at a time. The greatest defense is a good offense. All these expressions, I can keep throwing them out, but guys, they're true. It works. So if you're in Mikey's position, you come out, you pull guard, and you start right away. Right away, you're looking for inverted, you're looking for Delahiva, you're, you're, you're going on these attacks that are forcing Sosa to constantly relax, try to pull his leg out. Well, if he's pulling his leg out, he's not attacking yours. Constantly. And Mikey never let up. I have to give Mikey credit for that. I have to. Because Mikey's a nerd, right? But, but you nerds need served. Like, the nerds need a leader. For sure. Well, I, th I feel like maybe you've gotten one. The guy that goes out there, goes on the attack nonstop, only eats pasta and pizza, and has to put his glasses on right after the match. I mean, I feel like you nerds finally have a king. And I don't know who's going to beat him. Quite frankly, I don't know who's going to beat him. I mean, you would need to talk like a Gary Tonin level guy. And then you're going to have to get Gary to fully focus. Put MMA aside. Put your striking over here, Gary. Go back and focus. You're going to need somebody like that. Somebody could deal with the aggressiveness, but also knows the surprise attacks because Mikey's long. Mikey's got leverage. I don't think that Mikey's very strong in terms of if you go in the weight room and you give him a bar. I don't think he's going to put up 225 pounds more times than whoever else decides to lift with him that day. I don't think he's going to go to the pull-up bar and get 25 reps in. But he has something called leverage. And when you're long and you know how to use that body, right, there's nothing more powerful or frustrating than taking on a guy who has leverage, who can get in spots where a normal human being is weak, but he's not. You'll hear about this in striking all the time. 
we always talk about who's got the reach advantage. Reach very seldomly proves to be an advantage. It's a disadvantage. You've just got one guy with a longer arm than the other guy. Mike Tyson, just, just by example, never in his career, and that's a literal statement, had a reach advantage over an opponent. Zero times did that ever happen, literally. So why we call reach an advantage, I don't know. But the other side of it is not very many guys know how to use it. Now, the other side of the coin, you get a guy like John Jones. John will hit you. John will block you just by opening his hand. He will open the palm of his hand and post it on your forehead, and you can't get to him. He understands how to use his reach. You get inside that, boom, John will start elbowing you. He understands how to use his reach. There's very few guys I can say that about. Dan Hooker understands reach, just by example. And then I got to back up all the way to Tommy Hearns. So when you have these long guys, and you have, you have something that I'm talking about called leverage, it's true if you know how to use it. Mikey understood how to use it. And Mikey went on the attack, and he went attack right from the beginning. And therefore, he couldn't be attacked. He was not being attacked. This whole thing was offense against defense, and all his opponents waiting for him to do is slow down. Oh, by the way, if he never slows down and he runs out the clock, he's going to win because he's the one that had to attack. Like, this was the most perfect plan by a guy who understood what the plan should be, what the strategy should be. He paid respect to the rules. He understood and listened when the judges told them what they were looking for. That's the right guy to be champion. That's the guy, right guy to be your champion. But now he's going to be hunted. Now the pursuit begins, and I would love to hear from you. Who should his first title defense be against? Did you guys watch Bellator of the weekend? I don't know that I've ever missed a Bellator where Aaron Pico's fighting. Aaron Pico was the hottest prospect to ever come into MMA. Aaron Pico entered MMA a hotter prospect and with more on him than just, say, what Bo Nickel is going through right now. Bo is the hottest prospect since Aaron Pico, but I don't know that Bo passed up Aaron. Like, th this was massive when Pico came over. Pico missed out on making an Olympic team, thus what would have made him the youngest Olympian in U.S. history, and he lost out by losing a match 4-4. Four to four. It was tied. They went to a criteria and gave it to him. I mean, Pico came in hot. Then it turns out that Pico was a boxer. Then it turns out in Pico's youth, he used to go over to Europe and enter Pancration Championships. He'd been fighting for a while. This is hot. This is really interesting stuff. So I've just come along the journey. And I've watched Pico even trade camps. Train who he's being cornered by. Right now he's out in Albuquerque. Jackson and Wink, they got the answers. He's going out there. So I'm just, I'm along for the ride. I'm looking at him. And every time I judge him, I judge by his body. And I swear to goodness, he looks even leaner and he looks even stronger each time I see him, which is going to happen. I talk about that Olympic team birth, just so you understand. I'm talking about a boy. That was a boy. That was a teenager who still has another round, right? You get, you get that round of maturity. They call it puberty. You go through that. You get a second round as men. Men get another, right around 25 years old, you get another round of strength just by staying alive. And I feel as though Pico is still coming into that, but if anybody has had a run of bad luck, it's Aaron Pico. His first fight, for example, it's at Madison Square Garden, it's pay-per-view, it's a feature bout, the media's everywhere, the expectations are high, he gets caught in a guillotine, gets choked out right away. And how many times have we seen a wrestler in their first fight coming for that wrestling takedown and expose their neck? Lots. Almost every time, as a matter of fact. And sometimes it doesn't, it doesn't always finish, but almost every time the opponent taking on a wrestler doesn't know anything about the guy except he's going to come want to tackle him. They're looking for front choke. They're looking for guillotine. All right. Pico gets everything, right? Wheels get put back on the bus. We're headed down Main Street. He gets caught with a flying knee in a fight that he was dominating. Like, these things just kept happening. Well, let me add to it. Let me fast forward all these years and bring you to this weekend's fight. Pico's out there. He's dominating. He's in control. Is that for me, sweetheart? Can, can I have... Thank you, baby. Let me see what it is. No, oh, my God. It's doggy. It's beautiful. Thank you. My daughter was nice enough. She just drew me a picture over here. She's playing hooky from school. I couldn't find the school. I was taking her to school day. We couldn't find the school. Kept driving around. I couldn't find it. So we ended up at Starbucks, and now she's here with me, and she's drawing pictures. 
Give me a moment. So Pico's out there fighting over the weekend. And he's in control, wouldn't you know. He's crossed the cage. He's found his opponent. He's got his opponent up against his own side's cage. Locks him up and picks him up. And something happens. And now we don't know as a viewer, but Pico looks to his corner with like fear on his face. And he's trying to tell them something. And he's, he's tapping his own shoulder. So now you've got Big John trying to piece this together for us, the audience. Like Big John's trying to let us know, okay, something's up with Pico. Then Pico reaches up and he's grabbing his own shoulder and he's pulling it. He's Now he's fighting a man. Don't forget this, guys. He's clenched up. He's fighting a man. He's taking his free hand, grabbing his own shoulder, and he's trying to pop the darn thing. He's trying to pull it. So Big John is breaking this down and saying, okay, guys, I think he's dislocated his shoulder. He has something. He's not doing anything right now. He's attacking himself, and he's told his corner something. All right. So the break comes. Now, Pico gets taken down. Guy puts the legs at. Pico's getting ridden. Pico almost gets TKO'd. He gets back up to his feet. I mean, he looked like a one-armed man in an ass-whipping contest. And I'm not taking away from his opponent. I'm telling you what we observed. Those things happened. Aaron said something's wrong. Aaron tried to grab his own shoulder and do something. Aaron got taken down. Aaron got the legs put in. Aaron almost got finished. The bell rings. They go to their corner. Well, now, right, the cameras stay on him. We, the viewer, are being brought in on this. And Big John's doing his best to tell us what's happening, but Big John doesn't know yet. He's speculating. So Aaron sits down. And he begins. Brandon Gibson is his corner man. And he's telling Brandon, get my shoulder back in. My shoulder's out of place. So Brandon goes right to work. God bless him. I mean, I don't know anything about a shoulder. You guys want to know what I know about a shoulder that's out? There was a movie in the 80s called Lethal Weapon. And Mel Gibson's character, he was a police officer whose shoulder would get dislocated. And when it would, he'd make a face like he was in pain. And then he'd go run, run his shoulder into a wall. And it would go back in place. That's all I know about dislocated shoulders. So apparently, based on that movie, which I was 11 years old, when I saw it, Apparently, you could put a shoulder back in. And now I'm seeing Brandon Gibson in the corner trying to do just that. So Gibson's grabbing it, and Gibson's yanking it this way, and then he's grabbing it by the elbow, and he's trying to pull it over his head. He's doing everything that he can do, but Gibson doesn't know how to set a shoulder. I love that Gibson tried to do this. I know that his guy, Pico, said, grab my arm and pull it this way. Grab my arm. I'll take that, baby. Thank you, honey. That's beautiful. And what is it, for I can tell the crowd? What is it? It's a rainbow. It's a beautiful rainbow. Thank you, gorgeous. Mwah. I'll put it right over here. Okay. So Gibson's trying to pull this shoulder, but you know, you guys really have to appreciate this because Gibson took a little bit of flack. People were coming out on him on something we called the internet. Gibson was doing the best that he could. Imagine being in his shoes. He knows something wrong with his fighter, so now he's concerned. He wants to get information to his fighter because we got two rounds left. And by the way, we're down one. We got to get them both right. Oh, by the way, I got to set your arm. And he tried to do it. Gibson was a superstar, in my opinion. I thought it was a cool move that he even tried. Now, because of this display, because of all of the theatrics that are going on, for what I'm describing, commission gets hip to it. So the commission doctor comes over and he's going to want to talk to him. Now, the commission doctor did something very simple, which is he told Aaron, okay, your arm's okay. Yeah, yeah, my arm's fine, doc. Yeah, yeah, my arm's fine. Doc says, okay, no problem. Just put it up like this for me. Aaron couldn't do it. Aaron got it to about here and said, and, and then he did it with the good arm. <laughs> I swear, I'm not making that up. The doctor told him to put the arm up over his head like this. So Aaron tries and he can't do it. Then he takes the good arm and he goes right up over his head. Like the doctor, like the doctor would forget which arm was dislocated. It was, it was beautiful. It was beautiful because it wasn't an act. Like this wasn't Pico trying to pretend for you guys that he wanted to go on. He really wanted to go on. He, this wasn't a joke. He tried to get it reset. Then he tried to tell, oh, no, my, it's just fine. It's just fine. <laughs> All right. So the doc just, and the doc looked like a real gentleman, you know, because the doc kind of put a face on him like, Aaron, come on, man. You know, you know, I got a job to do here. My job is to make sure that you go out there in close to the same condition as you came in here. I can't let this fight go on. Okay. So the doctor tells the referee, stop the fight. They stop the contest. Now, what a terrible thing. 
Because Aaron was ranked number two, his opponent was ranked number seven. We're giving no credit to the opponent. The opponent didn't know his shoulder was out. The opponent was in trouble at times in that fight. The opponent worked through it. The opponent is clinched up. He's got to take down one of the best wrestlers, definitely the best wrestler he's ever done combat with. Oh, by the way, he holds him there. By the way, he puts the hooks in. By the way, he almost finishes him. He doesn't know any of these things. So he went out and did his job, and he went out and did a great job. Now, Pico told Coker, Coker told the world at the press conference after the fight, I want a rematch. Coker didn't commit to getting him the rematch, but we at least understood what happened. Big John was right. Aaron was a complete stud. Gibson stepped up and should not be getting anything other than praise. Gibson tried to serve his athlete. In a role, I can guarantee you Brandon Gibson's never set a shoulder before, and he definitely hasn't done it between rounds of an ass-whipping contest with commission staring at him. I thought everybody did a great job. I thought it was one of the more interesting parts of the entire weekend. You guys know me. My clothing style is pretty simple and classic. I'm a t-shirt and jeans type of guy, usually, but Bird Dogs has had me change things up a bit. Bird Dogs has a fantastic pair of pants that are sleek enough for a dinner date, but also comfortable enough to play some fall golf. I've been the most stylish guy in the wrestling room wearing their new sweatpants, and their joggers are higher quality than Lululemon and $20 less. What are we talking about here? Just listen to Uncle Chael. Go buy some Bird Dogs. You'll be highly entertained reading through their site. Go to birddogs.com, enter the promo code CHAIL, and they'll throw in a free Bird Dogs rope hat. That's birddogs.com, promo code CHAIL, and boom, a free Bird Dogs rope hat with your pair of Bird Dogs, the most comfortable shorts, pants, and sweatpants with built-in liners. You will not take these things off, I promise you. So another training footage comes out of Conor McGregor, right? And we spoke a couple of weeks ago about some footage that had come out of Conor. Conor's back in the gym. Conor's not near as big. Right, Conor had lost some weight and he's, he's looking more fit. And all of a sudden you start to go, okay, well, 170 is definitely possible. And I think 155 could be in range too. I mean, Conor really started to get his body back under control. But now footage has come out of Conor wrestling. If you haven't seen this and you're an aspiring fighter, you must... Go watch this. You must watch this, but you must study this. If you don't know Conor McGregor, you don't know he's from Ireland, Ireland, a country that doesn't even have wrestling. If you don't know those things, and I show you this footage and I tell you, this guy was my teammate at the University of Oregon, you're going to believe me. Pure wrestling. So he's in a stance. He's on his feet. He's bent over. His knees are bent. He's not bent at the waist. He bent his knees. His hands are up. His elbows are in. He's got head position. He looked like a seasoned wrestler. Anytime that Conor McGregor got in trouble, see, I really hope you guys watch this video. The greatest non-wrestler that I ever personally had to deal with was Nate Quarry. And Nate wasn't that way. I worked out with Nate every single day. I knew where I could get a hold of him. I knew how I could get him down if I needed to. All of a sudden, one day, Take back everything I just said. I didn't even know who this guy was. One day. Never came close to getting him down again. Never came close to getting to the... Like, I need a certain position before I can go for my attack. I need certain things to happen as a setup. If that doesn't happen, I'm never even going to go for the attack. I couldn't get to that step with him. And this is frustrating. I wasn't catching on. I thought, oh, he had a good day. Oh, he's worked on that position. I thought this for a while. Now a couple of months go by. I thought, Nate, what's the deal? What is going on? Nate says it's anti-wrestling. He says, all of these years, I've been trying to do what you wrestlers are doing. Right? He's in there with Dan Henderson and Randy Couture, right? With Matt Lynn, we're all these wrestlers. He said, for all these years, I've been trying to learn what you're doing. I don't need to. I need to just not play along, and you can't do it. He was right. Nate called it anti-wrestling. When we go to tie up with him, he would tie up in a different position. When we go to lock up with him, he would lock in a different position. And anytime you get in trouble, if you do go, if you're, if you're a young athlete and you're going to go study Conor McGregor, okay, he does three things perfect. And Robert Whitaker does these same three things, by the way. I've told you guys that Robert Whitaker is as good at takedown defense as George St. Pierre was at takedown offense. 
Two guys I pay that credit to, Jose Aldo and Robert Whitaker. You can't get these guys down. Yoel Romero, Olympic medals, you can't get this guy down. First, it's called a side wizard. If you put your hook, which means you put your fist on the guy's armpit, okay, I don't want to bother you with the X's and O's, but that is what a side wizard is. That is going to allow you to hang on. That is what the cowboy, that would be the equivalent of the cowboy on the ball. When the cowboy's holding on to that ball, as soon as he lets that strap go, he's coming off. The same thing goes with the side wizard. You will never be taken down until you take out your side wizard. If you put a side wizard and you stay in that position, per the rules of wrestling, the referee can't call it a takedown. Now, this guy's got ways to try to make you take it out, or guys get frustrated. They usually take it out themselves. Connor puts in a side wizard, he keeps it. Number one, right there. Right there will take you to a college level of wrestling. Number two, hips and head pressure. And Connor works them together. He will post your head and push it down so you're weak. He will then cover it with his hips. That's it. That right there will take you to a starting position in college wrestling. As simple as that might sound, that he had a side wizard, he pushed the head and he covered it with his hips. As simple as that might have sound, great, go learn that and you won't get taken down either. But you can work with guys for five and six and seven years. You can't get them to do that. Connor does it. And above everything else, if you are going to watch this, I, say, I want to break this down for you. If you're going to go back and watch this above everything else, when Conor McGregor is in trouble in wrestling, he backs away. You cannot back up in wrestling. It is against the rules. You must stand your ground or go forward. If you back up, the referee will, will caution you. He will take the match from you. He will start to give points. He will disqualify you at some point. You can't back up. Why? Because no wrestling can happen if one guy's backing away. So if you ever end up in a jam with a wrestler, back up. It's legal in MMA. It's legal in boxing. It's legal in kickboxing. It's legal in jujitsu. It's legal in every form of combat except for wrestling. And that should be a big clue. That should be a massive clue for you. Just like the same reason you can't clinch in boxing. Because it works. Because it's effective. Because it will stop boxing from happening. Conor McGregor gets position in this tape, guys. Side wizard. Head down, hip control, gets in trouble, backs away. That sounds simple, doesn't it? It does. Sounds like something I probably just taught you, or I could at least work with you and show you in one session. But I'm sharing for you, it takes most guys five and seven years to be able to do that. Connor's doing it already. Wasn't my number one takeaway. It wasn't. My number one takeaway from Connor McGregor in this wrestling, okay? And I'm looking at his body. I'm looking at his body. Come here, baby. I'm looking at his body. I'm looking for what he weighs, right? You remember big bulky Connor? All these questions around him and where is Usad? And that was just a Connor that wasn't training. That was just a Connor that was bloated and full of water. This Connor looks good. That's still not my number one takeaway. My number one takeaway, guys, Connor's not playing. There's guys that go into a gym. They will go do a whole gym work and they'll lift some weights. They'll hit the pull-up bar. They'll make sure they snap a photo of themselves for Instagram. They'll hit the water fountain. They'll visit a little bit. They'll even go get some mitts. Oh, they love looking good on the mitts. They'll go over to the speed bag, get a little clip, put this out. That's exercise. That's good stuff. That's good exercise. Connor grabbing a guy, pushing and pulling back and forth and getting tired. You don't play wrestling. In my whole life and in your whole life, you've never driven past an aerobic studio in Orange Theory, a fitness gym of any level, where people were trying to get in shape, trying to burn some calories, so they went and wrestled. You've never seen that. You don't play wrestling. It's very difficult. It's very hard stuff. And the fact that Conor McGregor is out there on a weekend pushing and pulling, holding a stance, and he's wrestling. Guys, he's coming back. This is the surest thing to a guarantee we've had. Not his tweets, not his memes, not him hitting pads. The fact that Conor McGregor, who's down a good 15 pounds, is pushing and pulling and wrestling, something you don't play, something you don't do to burn calories. Conor McGregor is coming back. Where are you guys at on Bisping versus McGregor? Are you, are you following every single word of this? And I will tell you, this is the kind of thing that I would enjoy. Like, I enjoy those back and forth. It's very hard to get over on Bisping in a, in a battle of words. It's very hard to get over on Connor in a battle of words. Like, this would be a showdown. 
that we would all learn something from and we would enjoy, not to mention this has been brewing for a period of time. Like, I I'm a little bit surprised that it's taken this long to boil over, but here we are. Now, with that said, before you do go back and search for this, Bisping doesn't want to play very bad. And that's probably very hard for Mike. And I feel as though I understand where it's coming from. I feel as though I can explain it to you because Michael Bisping's role has changed. Michael Bisping's job now is to put guys that are going to walk that walk, step into that octagon to put those guys over, to give those guys shine. It is not Bisping's job to threaten them, to tease them, or to diminish them. Now, nobody's told him that. I guarantee Dana didn't tell him. I guarantee Craig didn't tell him, hey, don't, don't go after Connor. But I also can assure you there's a piece to Bisping's responses. Psychologically, they're exactly what I just described. Because it put me in a tough spot too. And I got to walk the tightrope for a while where I was commentating and competing commentating and competing, but I didn't want to use the commentating boost, uh, booth as a way to build up the competition. So nobody told me that I couldn't, but it wouldn't be appropriate. I think, the, I think that we can all understand why. Like, I'll give you an example. This is a law. Now, this is a law that gets violated on a regular basis and absolutely nobody enforces it, but there is still a law on the books that a politician must be given equal time. So say NBC, for example, if NBC was to have a politician, a sitting candidate on, uh, who's somebody that does an NBC show? Jay Leno. He got replaced, but the Jay Leno show, whatever that used to be. And they gave him 20 minutes. NBC somewhere down the line owes the opponent a free 20 minutes. It's a rule. It's a law. So you, you would never be able, if you were in Connor's spot, to have a microphone and have the ears of the audience more than Michael Bisping. But if it's ESPN or it's the UFC that brought those ears in and it's their microphone, Bisping doesn't use that as his platform. I think Bisping's appropriate. And I, I guarantee you that there's a piece of what I just said that is why Bisping is not coming as hard as you might expect. Where that balance is, but it exists. The rules change. You would view it as the rules didn't change. I'll give you a great example, but it was Kamara Usman, Colby Covington. Colby had just got done fighting. Kamara was a sitting champion, but Kamara was working the booth. And when he interviews Colby, Colby breaks bad on him, starts yelling, starts screaming at him, starts building something up, and Kamara could not fire back. I saw another thing. It was Tony Ferguson and Kevin Lee. Kevin gets done fighting. Tony's sitting at the desk. Tony interviews Kevin. Kevin breaks bad on Tony. And Tony had to stay calm. There's just a part of it. There's a little part where that never goes too far. Now, what made Connor so mad? That's a tough one. I don't really know. I mean, I really don't know. Michael Bisping guessed, hey, Connor's bored. Connor's lonely. I think that Connor's out on the set of this Roadhouse gimmick, which I still don't know if that's a movie or a TV show, and I've asked people and I've heard both. The point is, apparently he's still there, and maybe he is a little bit bored, maybe he is a little bit lonely, maybe he's just looking to have some fun. We could only guess. But the same way that Bisping is following a code of, I am now a commentator, I'm not coming after you, the same way that Bisping follows the code, Bisping follows that code because he can't come in and fight Conor McGregor, he can't do anything about it, he doesn't fight anymore. But that would also, that end of the code would also spill to Connor. Connor's not going to be fighting Michael Bisping because Michael Bisping doesn't fight anymore. So I want to tell you guys like some great drama. I want to tell you what's going on here, what the real story behind the scenes is. And this whole thing started, this is in my opinion. Connor hasn't told me this and neither has Michael Bisping. I'm just an observer and I watched it. This whole thing has to do, when Connor broke into the business, Bisping believed in him early. Like, Connor had one fight, and Bisping was telling people about him. And Bisping met him, and Bisping grabbed him, and pulled him into the fold, and set him up with his manager. Bisping introduced him to Audie, and talked Audie into managing this guy that nobody had heard of out of Ireland, called McGregor. Well, McGregor becomes a big thing. Audie then becomes McGregor's partner, not just his manager. Like, they go and do the whiskey thing together, and I wouldn't know what other things they have together. The point is, they're going off, and all of a sudden, Bisping can't get his phone call. All of a sudden, Bisping, who introduced them, isn't getting his calls returned promptly. 
It's one of those things that's not going to sit well with anybody. Not to mention, if I introduced you, if this whole relationship, if the genesis of that was me, I'm now a broker. I have brokered this relationship. Where's my cut? And I'm and Bisping has never said those words to me. I'm telling you, as an outsider that just watched this, I've seen it. And where, where are these two going with this? Because at some point you have to, what is the point? Is the point to get some headlines? I'm all in, but Bisping doesn't need them right now. He doesn't have a match coming up. He doesn't have a pay-per-view. Does Connor need the headlines? Sure, Connor loves them, but he doesn't have a match coming up right now. He doesn't have a pay-per-view. I don't know what the swerve would be. Is Connor trying to get Bisping brought in and they can settle this in a choreographed setting on this new movie and or TV show? I, I don't know. I mean, The Rock and Vin Diesel got into something like that after Fast and the Furious, but it was all to lead to a WrestleMania. The whole world caught on, so Vince couldn't book it. Had those two have played it right, and Vin was trying, Vin just wasn't very good at it. Vin was trying, Vin Diesel was doing what needed to be done to get a big spot against The Rock in WrestleMania. He was, but when you guys figured out and everybody starts talking about, oh, they're just hustling, it's up, right? It doesn't work anymore. I'm speculating. I'm guessing. I don't know. I wanted to enjoy this more than I did. I did. I wanted to enjoy this, but Bisping decided to play nice. Now that puts anybody in a hard spot. If I believe I have a rival and I believe that he's worthy and meaningful, I got a big voice, but he's got a big voice too. I was a world champion, but he was a world champion too. All of a sudden things start to get level and you start to say, okay, I've got an opponent. I'm not going to be boiling. I'm not going to be picking on him, but I don't know that Bisping wanted to play. And if he did, at least by Bisping standards, he decided to play nice. To close out today's show, let's talk about one of the top guys at 170 pounds, Colby Covington, and what the future holds in store for him. I'd be very curious who you guys think is next for Colby. Because I'm looking at the pieces on the board. Colby seems to be the king, right? I mean, this seems to be the king that's got to get matched for everything else to fall into place. You have Blahal Muhammad, who has done more and risen faster than anybody in the sport, not just the division. A multiple-time main eventer. Who's now going to quite possibly have his toughest test ever. In Sean Brady, quite possibly. Sean Brady is 15 and 0. 15 and 0, and will be debuting on his first ever pay per view main card. At the same time, I don't know what Blahal's going to get from that, right? I mean, there is something to be said for name recognition. If he goes out and he looks great, I don't know that he's going to get this huge bounce. He'll deserve it, but I don't know that he'll get it. And the same thing goes with Brady. If Brady gets over on Blahal, Brady will now be 16 and 0 with a massive win over a massively named fighter with a very high ranking, but will it be enough when it's your first time on a main card? It's just one of these things, right? It's, it's one of these things that's hard to know. I was told Rachmanov was going to be fighting Wonderboy. I was told this three weeks ago. But then Wonderboy came out and said, you know what, not so fast. I don't know that I need to get in there with another high-level wrestler right away. I think I want to do something in between as I'm working on my wrestling. I thought that was just talk. I thought they were going to make that fight. They didn't make it. And Rachmanov isn't speaking up. I mean, Rachmanov and Chemaev are really the same guy on paper. One is a media sensation, which is Chemaev, and one kind of keeps to himself, which is Rachmanov. But Rachmanov, his record's flat and nasty. I mean, I think it's 15 and 0. This is off the top of my head. 15 and 0, eight submissions, seven knockouts, or TKOs, or vice versa. He is for sure finished every single opponent, but it's eight versus seven, one way or the other, with either submissions or. TKO finishes. That is shocking to be able to do that 15 times and not be on the tip of everybody's tongue. Not to mention he's wrestling heavy out of Kakistan. Not to mention he's in the same division as Chemayev. Now, I hate the build. I hear it and I'm not going to win this. There will be people in decision-making roles higher than me that will disagree with me, which is why I'm not going to win. I despise the build. The single greatest piece of marketing this sport has ever done, and it was on accident, it wasn't a plan, but it was Chemayev. 
to run him out there and run him out there again and then run him out there again, bounce him between weight classes, very short rest in between, anyone, anywhere, anytime. I have never seen a star be built faster than Chemayev, and that was the recipe, but we're not following that anymore. We don't know as fans, as we sit here today, if our media darling Chemayev is an 85-pounder or a 170-pounder. We should have crystal clarity on that. We, it should be crystal clear to us what weight class and who the opponent is and what the date is. That should have already been made. Or you're stopping a train on the tracks that is the single greatest marketing piece the sport's ever had. And here we are. I mean, I would love to see Chamaya versus Rachmanov. And people will tell, no, it's not ready. we got to build Rachmanov. Build him for what? He's fought 15 times. He's finished 15 people. Build him for what? Build him how? 15 times all finishes. He's built. Well, no, I want to get him with the audience. I, I know what you mean. I, I know exactly what you mean. But show me somewhere in history that you've done it, and I'll shut up. Because I could tell you fight after fight after fight that we were building to. I could tell you fight after fight if and boxing world was building to. They tried to get Tyson Fury in there with Joshua just to use a recent example. Everything they were both doing was a build to get to that fight. Well, you see the problem? But it's the same thing over history. I could go to times that you were trying to build two guys to make this fight, and that fight never happened. Someone got derailed. The Rogmano versus Chemayev might already be derailed. Chemayev might be a 185-pounder now. He tweeted that out, and we haven't been getting cleared. I mean, just by example, you could have made that fight. You wanted to make that fight. You knew that was the fight to make, but you were going to build it. Now you've lost the fight. One guy is not even in the division. There is no build. The build doesn't work. The build are words done by a guy who's lost creativity. You ever hear everybody say, oh, it's the only thing that makes sense? When somebody tells you it's the only thing that makes sense, they're telling you the confines of their own creativity. Any example you give me, any example, I will show you one back that had you been creative enough, you will see, oh, yeah, I hadn't thought of that. And I do think it's interesting, where's Colby going to go? Why is Blahal and Brady fighting, right? Like, at some point, Brady ha has to be pulled up. But why is Bahal's only reward for doing jobs that nobody else is willing to do that he gets asked to do more jobs that nobody else is willing to do? And it's one of those tough spots. It's one of those really tough spots. And no matter how good Chemayev's looking, no matter how great Rachmanov's record is, they're not above Colby, not yet. Not in the rankings, but also not in the mind of the fan. Not in the eye of the viewer. They're going to have to get past Colby. Now, Colby has been real polite lately. He's been real quiet. I've seen a couple of Colby pieces come out, and I've been having a hard time knowing if those are recent or I'm just seeing them. I see him in the gym. I saw him doing an interview over the weekend that appeared that he did last week. I'm just not sure that he did. If he did, it would, it would help to change my mind. If I knew if that thing was time and date stamped, it would have given me a great reference point, but it wasn't. And so I wasn't sure if I was watching a recent interview or something that's just new to me. I don't think you can get to the belt at 170 unless you go through Covington. I don't. Oh, and by the way, I don't think you could go through Covington and not immediately get a shot at the belt. So it's an interesting spot, and we've got these guys, and guys have got to start speaking up. Sean Brady finally did. Now he's finding himself opposite a multiple-time main eventer who's the fastest rising star in the entire sport on a main card of a highly sought-after event. But where are the rest of the guys speaking up? I'm telling you I like to see Chemayev versus Rachmanov. How come you're not telling me that? Well, you're probably not telling me that because Rachmanov has never suggested that. Right? I mean, there's an order that things go. There's a reason you call somebody out because that's our jumping off point. And we're not, we're going to start there. You can build a fight the way most guys' fights get, get built, which is it starts in a meeting 
known as a matchmaker meeting, and then you get a phone call, and then you get a bout agreement. Most guys start from there, but you don't have to. You could start on second base. You could do the call out. You could get the audience responding, or more importantly, not responding, and realize that was a bad idea and turn the cannon somewhere else. You could do that. Do you know what I would do if I had a record like Rachmaninoff's? 15 and 0. All finishes, all in the UFC finishes. I mean, it's one of those things that you could you you could really run with. He's not running, so it, it kind of leaves us stuck on the mound. Then if he was to start running with it, we're then going to have to deal with this concept of a build, of why eliminate two guys. Well, you just had Surreal gone, who was fighting at home, take on the most popular heavyweight in the division. We knew one of those guys was going to lose. So I, I, I just share that with you. I don't see where that starts to become a problem. I don't see wherever in this sport that has become a problem. The sport's biggest star, bar none, is McGregor, who did not win his last fight, just so you understand. He didn't even win the one before that. Nate Diaz, one of the sport's biggest stars, I just don't know that I can call him the UFCs anymore because it appears that he's going in some other direction. Prior to Tony, had not won his last fight. As a matter of fact, he didn't even win the one before that. George Masvidal, in the upper echelon for the biggest stars, did not win his last fight. As a matter of fact, he didn't even win the win, win the one before that. So this entire concept that you got to build a guy and that a guy's got to be undefeated, I can look at the evidence that's right in front of us and show you that's not true. You make the fights you want to make when you can make them, or you don't get the fight ever. You just simply don't ever get the fight. And when that was, we're going to wait to get Anderson Silva and John Jones in there. We're going to wait. We're going to do it, but we're going to wait. We're going to wait to get St. Pierre versus Anderson Silva in there. We're going to do it, but we're going to wait. You can wait, but then you won't get it. Those are big fights. I can show you big fights, medium fights, and little fights. When we've waited, the fights end up not happening. The build's a bad idea. Make the fight you can make when you can make it and get the fight to the ring. Everything else will sort itself out. You get the fighters in the ring. We'll take it from there. All right, guys, that's it for today's episode. Thank you for listening. If you liked what you heard, go over to Apple Podcasts and leave me a five-star review. I'd love to hear from you and then shout you out on the show. So go do that. And then come right back here on Friday. Until then, I'm Chael Sonnen, and you are welcome.